Chapter 14, Part 1 of U.S. Marine Operations in Korea, 1950-1953, Volume 2, The Inchon Seoul Operation, by Lynn Montross and Nicholas Canzona. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Drive to Weejumbu As rapidly as the advance of the troops permitted, preparations were made for the restoration of civil government to Seoul. A group of former city officials had arrived by plane from Pusan, and on 26 September, Mayor Lee opened a temporary office in Yongdungpo. The police chief, construction engineer, and the health and welfare officials also resumed their old duties. Collecting points were set up for handling the civilian wounded. The following statistics, comprising the patients treated for all causes by the 1st Medical Battalion of the 1st Marine Division, show that Korean civilians were second in numbers only to the Marines themselves. U.S. Marine, 2,811. Korean civilian, 1,908. U.S. Army, 358. KMC and ROC, 322. U.S. Navy, 78. POW 39. The problem of food for a city with a pre-war population of a million and a half was met during the advance when stores of rice and other supplies were turned over to Seoul officials by the Marines. Medical supplies found in the city were redistributed for use in Seoul and Incheon hospitals as well as the hospital established at Yongdungpo by Captain Herring, the division surgeon, expressly for the treatment of civilian wounded. A shipment of some 50 tons of rice through 10 Corps, plus large amounts located in Seoul by the Marines, enabled the officials to take over without critical food shortages. On the 28th, Mayor Lee moved into the City Hall at Seoul and acted immediately to re-establish police authority, clear destroyed areas, and provide for the restoration of such public utilities as water and electricity. These prompt measures did much to ease the hardships of thousands of returning refugees. Operations of 28 September The 5th Marines passed an uneventful day on 28 September, having taken its assigned objectives and been pinched out by the 1st Marines on the right and the 7th Marines on the left, as planned. An assembly area was established in the vicinity of the Women's University and though the regiment sent out patrols, no enemy were encountered. The 7th Marines put in a busy day at seizing objectives which consisted of the high ground north of Seoul on both sides of the main highway from the capital to Weejumbu. Opposition was light to moderate, with the stiffest resistance occurring in areas which indicated that the enemy intended to put up a fight to protect his escape route to Weejumbu. 75 tons of American-made dynamite and explosives captured by the 7th Marines, were believed to have been originally supplied to the ROC forces before the war and abandoned during the NKPA invasion. Total advances for the day ranged from 1,500 yards in the zone of the 3rd Battalion to 2,600 yards in the zone of the 2nd Battalion. When the 1st Marines jumped off at 0645 on the 28th, the 1st and 2nd Battalions were in assault. The 3rd Battalion remained in an assembly area in the rear and continued mopping up along with the 2nd KMC Battalion. 
Although organized resistance in the city had been broken, the 1st Battalion met stubborn resistance from enemy groups and encountered many mines. The 2nd Battalion, on the left, made headway against light opposition. These attacks cleared the remainder of Seoul and took the assault battalions to Hill 133, Objective Able, commanding the city on the northeast. General Smith visited the CPs of all three regiments on the 28th by helicopter. He found Colonel Puller at the Duck Sioux Palace near the intersection of the streetcar lines. Colonel Litzenberg's CP was located a short distance to the west, and Lieutenant Colonel Murray had established his headquarters in the Women's University on the northwest outskirts of the city. Later that day, General Smith and Craig displaced the division CP from Oyoso Ri to a barracks area in Seoul, southwest of South Mountain. The two Marine generals took over a former infirmary, but they decided that the mortuary slab was too depressing and had that fixture removed. Liberation Ceremonies at Seoul Planning for impressive liberation ceremonies at Seoul had begun while the street fighting was at its height. The 1st Marine Division was requested by Corps to furnish two honor guards and a band. Musical instruments having been left behind in Japan, air shipment was prescribed. General MacArthur had hoped to hold the liberation ceremony at Seoul on 25 September, just three months to the day after the launching of the NKPA invasion. The enemy, however, was not cooperative with respect to this date, and even on the morning of the 29th, three NKPA counterattacks were repulsed on the outskirts of the city. As it proved, General MacArthur vetoed plans for a ceremony with band music. I will personally conduct the proceedings without being introduced, said his message to Tencor, and he specified that there be no honor guard. Two pre-dawn counterattacks on the 2nd Battalion 1st Marines were not auspicious beginnings for the day of the liberation exercises. The first occurred at 0445 on 29 September, when the OP, located on a spur projecting forward of the MLR and defended by a rifle platoon, was infiltrated by an estimated 70 to 100 NKPA troops. A second enemy attack hit the left flank of the battalion shortly afterwards. Both attempts were repulsed with a total loss of 48 to the Communists, and the Marines had casualties of 4 KIA and 28 WIA, most of them resulting from hand grenades. Another assault, launched by the enemy at 0600 in the zone of action of the 7th Marines, was repulsed without trouble. Most of the fighting on 29 September was done by this regiment, which pushed forward to gain all the rest of its objectives before nightfall. At dawn, in preparation for the liberation ceremony, Marine guards were unobtrusively stationed along the route of approach from the new floating bridge to the government palace. This duty fell chiefly on 3-1, with elements of the 5th Marines being responsible for security in the western part of the city. General MacArthur and President Syngman Rhee drove directly to the palace after separate arrivals at Kimpo Airfield. The guests included Korean dignitaries and United Nations officials in addition to high-ranking representatives of military organizations. The commander-in-chief opened the ceremony with a moving five-minute address ending with the Lord's Prayer. The rumble of artillery could be heard at times, and some of the guests glanced up apprehensively at the shattered skylight overhead. 
Occasional falls of glass from the dome and drifting smoke and ashes were part of the scene, commented a marine officer. Unheeded noise of rifle shots punctuated the talks. Grim marines from Polar's regiment surrounded the seated audience. The youth of the guards was offset by the tall, gray-haired figures of General Smith and Barr at the front of the audience. They were patently the men who had borne precisely and capably the load of decision. With the 1st Marine Division still responsible for security, it was a relief to General Smith when the distinguished visitors departed unharmed. Not all the mines had been removed from the streets as yet, and it was suspected that snipers might still be lurking in the ruins. Crumbling of NKPA Resistance Although more hard fighting lay ahead in the Inchon Seoul operation, 10 Corps alerted its major units on 29 September to the possibility of a new amphibious landing on the east coast of Korea. This was one of the earliest announcements of the planning which led to the Wonsan landing and the advance to the Chosen Reservoir, but the history of those events belongs in the next volume of this series. The new operation was suggested by the rapid disintegration of the main body of the NKPA invasion forces. In a single day, 26 September, elements of the 1st Cavalry Division had advanced more than 100 miles, and a total of about 23,600 prisoners were taken by the 8th Army before the end of the month. Enemy resistance was still encountered, to be sure, and sometimes it was of a desperate nature as Red Korean troops fought to escape encirclement. But all hope and heart had gone out of the Communist cause. One Eighth Army column sliced across the peninsula to Kunsan, while other spearheads drove northward and rock units pushed up the east coast nearly to Samchak. NKPA opposition was crumbling everywhere as demoralized invasion troops threw away their weapons and changed to civilian clothes in the hope of making their way to North Korea through the ever-tightening Eighth Army Cordon. The Ten Corps troops in the Seoul area had enough on their hands to finish the old operation before starting a new one. 1st Marine Division Operation Order 13-50, issued at 2000 on 29 September, provided for the securing of the captured city by these means. 1. A continuation of the attack to the east. 2. The conduct of reconnaissance in force to the north and northwest. 3. The relief of elements of the 7th Infantry Division north of the River Han. 4. The seizure of prescribed blocking positions. The division plan of maneuver called for the three Marine Rifle Regiments to take blocking positions forming a rough semicircle defending Seoul from three sides, the 5th Marines to the northwest, the 7th Marines to the north, and the 1st Marines to the northeast. Responsibility for the area north of the Han River and west of the Pukan River had passed to the 1st Marine Division, and at 1500 on 30 September, the following missions were assigned by Operation Order 14-50. RCT-1. To protect the right flank of the division and be prepared to assemble in division reserve by battalions for a motor lift. Blocking positions, as assigned by Operation Order 13-50, consisted of high ground from 2 to 5 miles northeast of Seoul. RCT-5 To continue reconnaissance in force with minimum of a reinforced battalion to Suyuhyun and establish a blocking position, 
to protect the left flank of the division, and to be prepared to provide a reinforced rifle company for Task Force Compo on order. These attachments to be made, 1st Battalion, 11th Marines, and one battery of 50th AAA Battalion, U.S. Army, Company A, 1st Tank Battalion, Company A, 1st Engineer Battalion, and a company from the 1st Motor Transport Battalion. RCT-7, to advance rapidly and seize blocking positions in the vicinity of Wigjumbu. These attachments to be made, 3rd Battalion, 11th Marines, and one battery of 50th AAA Battalion, U.S. Army, Company D, 1st Tank Battalion, and one company of the KMC Regiment. The KMC Regiment, less the 1st and 3rd Battalions and one company of the 5th Battalion, with a detachment of Anglico attached, was meanwhile to advance to the east and seize blocking positions at the junction of the Han and Pukan rivers where the road leading northeast from Seoul reaches that point. The 1st KMC Battalion had been attached to the 7th Infantry Division, and the 3rd Battalion was operating on the Kumpo Peninsula. Task Force Kumpo, when activated on division order, was to consist of the 3rd KMC Battalion and Battery C, 50th AAA Battalion, U.S. Army, plus a 5th Marines Rifle Company and a tank detachment, if required. As it proved, however, 10 Corps held responsibility for the defense of this area until 2 October, when the 187th Airborne RCT was relieved by Task Force Kumpo. Two more small firefights awaited the 5th Marines in carrying out the mission assigned by Division Operation Order 14-50. At 10.30 on 1 October, while patrolling the extensive area of regimental responsibility, a detachment of 2-5 made contact with an NKPA force estimated at 150 to 200 men. Airstrikes and mortar fire soon took the fight out of the enemy, who left 30 dead behind. At 0600 on 1 October, the 3rd Battalion, reinforced with a battery of artillery and a platoon of tanks and engineers, moved out towards Suyuhun. Charlie Company of 1-5 followed in trace to protect the battalion rear and provided security for returning motor transport. Two roadblocks were cleared before the battalion tied in for the night on high ground just short of the objective. Then at 02.30 the next morning, the enemy struck an estimated company strength. The attempt was repulsed by machine gun fire and 67 Red Korean bodies were found at daybreak in the attack area. At 0700, the column resumed the march to Suyuhyun, which was occupied without further incident. The 1st Marines found little difficulty in carrying out all missions assigned by Division Operation Order 14-50. In fact, the regiment had only a few minor patrol actions after taking blocking positions northeast of Seoul. Colonel Litzenberg's men were now making the main effort of the 1st Marine Division. Preparations for the drive to Weejambu began with every indication that the enemy was bent upon flight. A patrol from the 3rd Battalion found 30 Korean bodies beside a wall, including several women and a child, whose hands had been bound behind them before they were shot. The victims, according to a POW, were members of the families of rock soldiers. Positions had been consolidated by the late afternoon of 30 September in readiness for the jump-off in the morning. The 7th Marines might well have been called Task Force Litzenberg at this stage, 
for it was reinforced by Major Parry's 3rd Battalion of the 11th Marines, Captain Lester T. Chase's Company D of the 1st Tank Battalion, Captain Byron C. Turner's Company D of the 1st Engineer Battalion, and Captain Kim's Company C of the 5th KMC Battalion. The drive to the new objective began at 0630 on 1 October in a column of battalions. Air reconnaissance had made it appear likely that any NKPA resistance would probably take advantage of a tactical bottleneck about halfway to Weejambu, where steep and rocky ridges overlooked a narrow defile through which the road passed. Colonel Litzenberg and his staff decided to maneuver by sending the 1st Battalion to make a broad feint to cover the entry of the 3rd Battalion into the defile with tank support while the 2nd Battalion followed in reserve. Lieutenant Colonel Davis secured his preliminary objectives, then swiftly spread out on both sides of the defile for his feint. Unfortunately, Major Roach was delayed by an enemy minefield, which brought the 3rd Battalion and the tanks to a halt while the engineers cleared the way. Davis's simulated attack had meanwhile disclosed that the enemy was entrenched in depth along the high ground on each side of the defile. Both Marine battalions took heavy NKPA artillery and mortar fire before halting for the night. At least the day's attacks had unmasked the enemy's positions and exposed them to savage attacks by the Corsairs of VMF-312. RCT-7 continued the attack at 0630 on the 2nd, with Roach on the left of the road and Davis on the right. About halfway through the defile, the 3rd Battalion was pinned down by a concentration of NKPA artillery, mortar, and small arms fire. Again, the tanks were held up while the engineers cleared away mines, working in a hail of bullets. The tanks of the 1st Platoon repaid the favor by closing in on two huts sheltering NKPA troops and killing an estimated 35. Here an attached dozer tank, without blade, had a freakish accident when two men in the turret were wounded by enemy fire down a 105mm gun tube while the breach was open. The 1st Battalion managed to cross the stream east of the defile and seize the high ground just beyond but the day ended with gains of only 300 yards in the defile. Roach's men returned to the attack in the morning, supported by the tanks of the 2nd Platoon. Again, VMF-312 flew one close air support sortie after another. Major Charles E. McLean was hit by enemy AA fire, but crash-landed his plane in friendly territory. First Lieutenant Robert O. Crocker was killed in action shortly after being brought down by NKPA small arms fire. VMF-312 flyers intercepted an enemy convoy and First Lieutenant Franklin Stratton reported the destruction of seven out of eight trucks. The tanks also gave the infantry helpful support, firing 167 90mm rounds during the day and an estimated 20,000 machine gun rounds at enemy troops along the ridge. While 17 cleared the high ground on the east side of the road and 37 on the west side, Colonel Litzenberg directed Major Webb D. Sawyer to pass between them with 27 and drive directly along the highway. Progress was satisfactory from the start. When Sawyer's men began to overrun abandoned NKPA artillery pieces and supply dumps, they pounded ahead with the realization that enemy resistance was broken. At 5 that afternoon, the 2nd Battalion entered the ruins of Wigjambu, evacuated by the enemy. 
The last large-scale fight of the Inchon Seoul operation had ended in a smashing victory for the division's youngest regiment. Indications showed that the Marines had been opposed by three battalions of the 31st Regiment of the 31st NKPA Division. Elements of the 17th and Seoul Divisions and of an artillery battalion were also encountered. These troops had been supported by 13 tanks, of which four were killed by Marine air attacks and two captured in a damaged condition by 2-7 after the others escaped. The three-mile advance of RCT-7 on 3 October had resulted in the cutting of lateral communications to the east and west of Weijambu and the securing of an important blocking position on the 10 Corps final phase line. Losses of 13 killed and 111 wounded were suffered by the regiment in the three-day fight. End of chapter 14, part 1. Read by Aaron Bennett.